So if you have a Bible, I'd love it if you turn to um, the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. And uh, we're going to start a series today that I'm really excited about. Um, I'm, uh, I'm excited because I'm always excited. But I'm excited because what we're going to take a look at tonight is, is the story of Joseph. And for the next eight weeks, we're going to plot the story of Joseph. And the story of Joseph is a really significant story um, in, in the scriptures. I don't know if any of you have seen the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical thing. Uh, it's, it's brilliant, you know, and uh, I close my eyes. La la la, and uh, give me your bubble, bubble, and uh, I was wandering along the banks of the river. And okay, none of you saw that, or if you did, you didn't try not to humor me, and please don't do that anymore. But anyway, so uh, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat, and the, and the reason that it's really significant is not just because you see a lot of Jesus in Joseph, but because you see a lot of you in Joseph. There's a lot of the experiences that Joseph is going to go through over the next few weeks as we look at it, and you're going to go, oh, I, I see that. And there's a lot of the moments you're going to look at and see how God dealt with Joseph and wonder whether God wants to deal with you in the same way. There's a journey that Joseph is going to take from his dream to his destiny that most of us never get to and never make. So Genesis chapter 37 is the beginning of, of the story, and, uh, and then we're also going to read from Psalm 105. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Psalm, you need to cut the Bible right down the middle, and you'll be in the Psalms, which are the poetry and the songs of the people of God. So Genesis chapter 37, and we read this. Joseph is the 11th son of 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob lived in the land, this is verse 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, so like he knew everything, was, <laughs> that's not in the Bible, I just added that, was tending the flocks with his brothers the sons of Bilhar and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he'd said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And then in, in the Psalms, which are the songs and poetry of Israel, there is a, a song that, that tells some of the history of Israel. In the middle of that song, there's a story of, of Joseph. 
And there's some really, um, I guess, relatively enigmatic words that are used, but I want to focus on one. Psalm 105 and verse 16. And the psalmist is talking about God, and he's talking about Israel, and he's talking about how Israel had rebelled. He says, he called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. Now, now, in every English version that you will have of the Bible, it will say something like that. His neck was put in irons or he, he was put in irons. But almost every English translation is a really bad translation because the correct translation doesn't translate really well into English. It's grammatically nonsense. The, the best translation is this. The iron entered into his soul. And you'll understand why they don't put that in there because that just sounds weird, doesn't it? kind of gobbledygook, the iron entered into his soul. But what we're being told is this, is when he was in prison and when he was going through trials and when he was going through difficulty, because he was going through difficulty and because he was going through trials with God, something happened inside of him that strengthened him kind of supernaturally. Iron entered into his soul. And what we're going to look at over the next few weeks is how is it possible in a world where everything is shaking and, and everything is different and you're not sure what the future holds and what tomorrow is going to bring for you and nobody can be certain anymore about anything, how is it possible for iron to enter into your soul so you stand and you walk and you have victory when you shouldn't have victory? How can you become that kind of person in this world? So we're going to pray and we're going to get into this thing, Okay. Okay, great. Some of you are okay. Some of you are kind of near. Let's pray. Jesus, we have this audacious belief that this is your word. That it's living and active. That it's doing something. And then in doing something, it changes lives. And so Holy Spirit, we just invite you now. Spirit of God. We, we know you're present, but we would appropriate your presence for this moment, for our lives. Would you speak and would you change stuff? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we've called this series Life in Technicolor, which if you've done the musical thing and you've just endured listening to me singing a little bit, you'll, you'll know why we called it Life in Technicolor, because it's Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. And, and, but if you're of a certain generation, and I certainly am, I'm going to be 50 this year, um, you will, I know I don't look it, but I am, um, I, you will know that there was, a special, there was a special reason that things used to be called Technicolor. Because when I was growing up, you know, like in my, in my teens, early teens, maybe even younger than that, there was a moment when black and white TVs became obsolete. Like we all have black and white TVs. Most of us rented them. I mean, I know this is, so most of you are going, what even is it? There was, there was a shop on the high street called Radio Rentals. And you kind of rented, this is true? It's true. You rented your TV. And, the, and there was a moment when it wasn't just that, 
color TV was a thing, it was that color TV became kind of almost affordable, so people had color, posh people, like color TVs in their front rooms. But and, and I, on a Saturday afternoon, would go with my parents into town when they went shopping, and I didn't mind because you could stand in front of radio rentals and you could watch the sport on color TV. And it wasn't just color TV, it was Technicolor TV. And they used that word. And what it means for us is something effervescent, something sharp, something multifaceted, something that brings life. And, and, you know, here's the thing. Life in God is supposed to be life in technicolor. It's supposed to be sharp life. It's supposed to be full life. It's supposed to be abundant life. That's what it's supposed to, it's supposed to be like. You know, Jesus came along saying that he'd come to bring life in all its abundance or all its fullness. In other words, technicolor life, every part of life, the whole of life. You experience that? When black and white monochrome becomes color rich, extrasensory, when you walk with God, it's supposed to be technicolor. And, and this whole series is about walking with God in technicolor. And how hard that can be. And how God wants to take your life and give you a dream, every single one of you. God wants to give you a why. God wants to give you a purpose. God already has. He's sown it into, into you. He doesn't want you to live less than your best, less than your purpose, less than your why. He's given you a dream. But, but, but he doesn't want it to stay there. How God wants to take your dream and move it towards your destiny because who knows that your dream is not your destiny. Your dream is the possibility of your destiny. The dream is the idea of your, of your destiny. The dream is oftentimes the selfish hope of your destiny, but, but your destiny is the fulfillment of your dream so that other people around you are blessed and encouraged because of the dream that God placed in you. And so what we're going to watch when we see Joseph is his journey from just an idea and just a dream to the fulfillment of the idea and the dream to the fully mature, fully orbed fulfillment of God's purposes in his life. God is so committed to your dream because it's his dream. He placed it there. But God is more committed to your destiny because your destiny is the fulfillment of that dream. The, the dream that adds value to people all around you and to the generation that follows you. And so we're going to take a look tonight at what the dream might be. And we're going to take a look at how God wants to take the germination of that dream and begin a work in you which is hard and deep and sometimes painful and oftentimes you're just going to want to run away from. So that one day you might be the person that God wants you to be. I mean, it's staggering. If all you'd had was, was, was the, the, the bookends of Joseph's life, if you just read that first bit with him being like an arrogant, entitled, spoiled teenager who didn't know when to keep his mouth shut, but he had a dream. And then you see the end of it when, when he's, he's kind of leading the biggest nation in the world and he's kind of saving people. If you just saw those two things, you wouldn't believe it was possible in one person. You go, How do you get from that to that. And then when you think about all the things that he went through, only, only in God can that happen. So let's, let's look at the story. Background. 
Joseph grows up and he's, he's the favorite child. You're not supposed to have favorite children, but Joseph was the favorite, the favorite child. I'll tell you why he was the favorite child. Because, because he had 12 kids. Six sons from Leah, who was the woman he didn't love that he was tricked into marrying. If you don't know that story, read it later. Uh, four from two concubines. We're not going to go into that. But two from Rachel, the woman he loved. And Joseph was the firstborn. So you can see why he was the favorite. And, uh, and Joseph had a dream. You have a dream. I don't know if you know your dream or you can articulate your dream. I don't know whether you've dismissed your dream because it's not that big. Your dream may be you want to save a nation. Your dream could be you want to just be a great dad. One's not better than the other, but you've got a dream and you've got a destiny. But without a dream, without working out what your why is, the danger is you'll just be aimless. Without a God dream for your life, without working out who you are and what you're for, you're vulnerable to somebody else's dream for your life. And one day, the danger is you might wake up and begin to realize that you took hold of somebody else's best idea for you and you never stepped into God's best plan for you. Someone just said this. Someone spoke over you this. Your parents asked you to do this. You took this course. You, you started this job. And before you knew it, you never stopped and said, why in the heck am I doing this? You never worked out what your dream was and what your why was. And to be honest, you never reached your destiny. You never did the thing. Do you know your dream? It, it, it starts by knowing how much you're loved. Here's the thing. We, we are not open to embracing the Father's plans for us until we feel the Father's heart for us. You, you're not really free to dreaming with God until you realize you're loved by God. Does that make sense? I mean, you're just not. You're not in an environment of, of, of openness to, to dream big dreams and to do that def- defenselessly. Just don't dream in big dreams until you're in an environment of love. Joseph was free to dream big because he lived in the security of being loved by his father. And God has a dream for you. But you're never going to walk into it until you truly know how much you're loved. Never. I, I, I meet so many people who have been around churches and read their Bibles and, and know that they're sons and daughters of God, but they just don't know how much they're loved. Because they've read about the stuff, but they've never experienced the reckless pursuit of God who loves them for them. And, and so their, their understanding of their identity is theoretical. And, and the thing is that theory will not rest in your heart and motivate your life. And so you're positionally sons and daughters, but you're experientially orphans and you, and you live as if you're orphans and you hold on to things and, and you operate as orphans and we strive and we drive and we try to live a dream or our own dream or our own idea. Or we try, try to live somebody else's dream and we're jealous about somebody else's why and we're looking around and we're saying, why didn't we get that thing? And it's because we've never let the Father truly love us. And we don't truly trust that he knows us. And we don't truly trust that he has a plan for our lives and he's that interested in our lives. And we don't, we're not 100% sure 
that his why is the best why, and we certainly are not sure that if we trust him, it's going to be all right in the end. And so we make a plan, and the plan is never as good as God's plan, and we make our way. Here's the thing. Joseph's father had favorites. Jacob had favorites. And, and, and Father God has absolutely no favorites. And you are his favorite. <laughs> he has no favorites. And, and you are his favorite. He loves you. He, he provides for you. He promotes you. He provokes you. He loves you enough to allow your heart and your life to be disciplined in order that your dream might result in your destiny because he knows that this is good, but this is best. This is all about you with you at the center of it and it's immature and, and it may never happen. It's a great dream. And it's a great why, but, but when it gets fully orbed and fully, fully walked out and fully recognized, it blesses not just you but people around you and suddenly it's become the destiny. And he loves you and he will do everything. So some people never dream with God because they don't know the love of God. And, and, and other people, I, I recognize this is true of me, they don't run with their dreams because no one, has, no one has loved them enough to help them ask the right questions about their dream. No one has asked, what do you really want? What do you really love? What do you really want to go after? And so they, so they end up serving somebody else's, somebody else's dream. Let, let me try this with, with you for a moment. See if this works. I like to think that you can work out your why by asking four questions. And, and somewhere in the, in, in the centering of these four questions will be your dream, will be the thing that God sowed in your heart, which is not the complete deal. You have to walk it through. But, but here, here are the four questions. Question number one, what's your greatest complaint? What, what do you wake up in the morning and go, oh, that should not be. Why do I... Why do I hate that? What, that's, that injustice should not be. That, 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 that lack of beauty should not be. That disregard should not be. It just irritates you. Second question is, what's your greatest dream? Now, these two things are connected. Your complaint and your dream. Your dream probably starts with, I wonder what it would look like if. I wonder what it would look like if. We had a go at that. I wonder what it would look like if we pulled our resources. I wonder what it would look like if we, we really made an effort. I wonder what it would look like if, if we stopped doing this and, and, and did this instead. The third question is this. What's your greatest gift? And I, listen, I don't, mean, I don't mean check through the Bible and come up with a whole bunch of spiritual gifts. Although that might be your greatest gift. What I mean is just what are you good at? What do you do really well? What's your unique contribution? And, and because we're British, we're probably not that good at articulating that as, ourselves, so we probably need to ask a number of other people what we're good at. What are, you, what are you really good at? What do you do better than anyone else you know? And the final question is this. What's your deepest joy? What's your deepest joy? What do you, what do you love? God's not a killjoy. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. He loves you fully embracing life. So if money wasn't an object and time was unlimited, what would you spend your life doing? Because you love doing it. And somewhere in the middle of, of, of this Scottish flag, 
weirdly. Somewhere here is, is the why, the dream, the thing that God made you for, the thing that you're uniquely called to, the thing that I don't care what you call it, your gifting, your anointing, your dream, your, I, don't, I don't care. I just care that you begin to recognize it and begin to walk with it. What's your dream? Some people never have a dream because they don't know how much they're loved. Some people don't run with their dreams because they don't ask the right questions. And, and, and here's where I want to land this thing. Other people, I would say most people, never fulfill their dreams and live their destiny because they won't allow God to do the work that takes a dream to a destiny. They won't allow the Spirit of God to do the work that is necessary in your life to take a dream which is immature to a destiny that changes the world. Your dream has a tough journey before it reaches its destiny. Jo Joseph has to go um, through a pit and a prison. He, he has to be accused falsely. He has to be condemned unfairly. He, he's going to have to learn how to deal with high pressure. He's going to have to learn to deal with uh, prosperity and finances and all, all that stuff. He's going he's, he's, he's to be tested in order to get from his dream to his destiny. And it's hard. Joseph starts talking about his dream. And uh, you'll notice in Genesis 37, he's bragging on his dream. But, but why, why in the world would you brag on a dream? Because it's just a dream. You, you didn't make it up. It's, it's a dream. Y your dream is your dream. God gave it to you. Your gift is, is a gift. It's a gift. You didn't earn it. You get no credit for it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gift. The, your complaint, the reason you wake up in the morning and feel these things, God, God gave you that complaint. Your joy, he made, he made you this way. You get no credit for your dream. You get no credit for your gift. It's a gift. So you can't brag on it. But the thing that you have to work on is the vehicle that will take your dream to your destiny. It's called character. It's called character. It's called the thing that God placed inside you, the essence of you, that he's going to want to change and mold and enable to carry that dream all the way to its destiny. Stop bragging on your dream and start working on your character. There's only one route for this journey. It goes through the valley of testing. I, I, I reckon we all know that we're not the finished article. Well, some of you obviously think you are, but... But no, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you all know you're not the finished article. I, I, I found the other day that um, something I probably should have known earlier. I lie to myself quite a lot. You ever recognize that in yourself? We were doing, um, I was coaching a younger leader and I asked them to do uh, one of these um, uh, psychometric um, personality tests. Um, and it was strength finders. Have you ever done strength finders, anyone? And uh, so I decided I'd done it before, but I'd do it again. And I went through the list of things, and I did the whole test thing. And halfway through doing the test, I realized I was just lying to myself. I just fancied having that quality. And so I, I fixed the answers in my head, because I'm quite intuitive. And I was going, oh, yeah, I, I, I like that. I'm creative. I think I'm that. 
I'll have this. And halfway through, I was thinking, I'm just lying to this is not This is not being honest and truthful. I, I, pre- I present the best version I possibly can to everybody else of who I think people want me to be. We're all in need of, of work. Joseph's character is not fit for purpose at the start. God has to work on it. He has to shape him. He shapes them through problems. He shapes them through successes. That's the thing. You, you have to let him shape you. And it's, it's going to take time. And none of us want that, do we? N- none of us in this society want to wait for anything, do we? It's going to take time. It's going to take years sometimes. Definitely months. And it's going to take pain and you're going to be scarred and some of the relationships are not going to work and you're going to get confused and, and sometimes you'll wonder where God is and you won't understand his hand on you and it's designed to make you but it feels like it might break you see, see your journey to your destiny is a battle the father loves you and he's wanting to remind you of your dream and take you to your destiny but the enemy will oppose you and will want to distract you He wants to take you off focus and get you doing something else. He wants to discourage you and say, you know, how in the world will you ever do this? This is never going to happen for you. He wants to disillusion you. He wants you to not believe in yourself anymore. And he wants to keep you stuck in something less than God's best for you. It's really important to know that because it's not always going to work out the way you want it to work out. Your finances won't always work. And sometimes the relationships will go pear-shaped. And sometimes you're going to have your heart broken. And your kids are not always going to be compliant. In fact, very rarely in my experience. Sometimes it's just going to be brats. But, but, but lovely. And you'll always present as if they're lovely. Because that's the way we do it. Um, and oftentimes you're going to feel far from the dream. But it's a journey. And... and, and it, Here's the thing. The Father wants to give you a gift for this journey. If, if you are willing to say, I have a dream. It's big, it's small. But I, ha- I have a dream. It's, it's my complaint, dream, gift, joy, thing. It's, it's who I am. It's what I'm created for. It's the essence. It's the why. I have this dream. And I don't want to settle for anything less than the dream. And I don't want to be this immature version of that dream where it's all about me and I'm in the center of my world and everyone has to listen to me. I want to be the mature version of the dream so that when it comes to its destiny, other people are blessed and other situations are transformed and I play my best part in this world. I, I, I want to do that. God says, I'm going to give you a gift. And here's the gift. Psalm 105. I'm going to give you iron into your soul. I'm, I'm going to give you iron into your soul. It's, I think, descriptive of the work of the Spirit of God. Joseph sets his life for God. He bends his will to God and iron comes into your soul. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not about, not beyond bringing disappointment into your life and trouble into your path if it will bring iron into your soul. 
Because he knows that iron in your soul will get you to your destiny. Iron in your soul will make you unbendable and malleable. Iron in your soul will make you unmoved and deeply moved by God. That's what he's trying to do. The, the word that we use for the word character, if you follow its, 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 um, its root, it comes originally from ancient Greek. And it's the word caruso. And it, um, it, it actually, it, in one of its descriptions, is a reference for a stamping tool, um, an iron tool for etching. An iron tool for etching. And the idea is this, that character is an etching of your soul. Character is something that comes into your soul, like iron in your soul, an etching of your soul, an immovable thing that is you, that, that, that enables you to stand and enables you to walk and enables you to keep on going, even though the storms are all around you and you want to give up and you want to go home and you want to laugh it all away and forget the dream. Just a, a little aside, there, there is a portion of, of scripture that most preachers don't preach on called Song of Solomon. Or, or if they preach on Song of Solomon, they make it all allegorical because they don't want to talk about sex. Because actually, it's, it's, a, it's a love poem. It's a, it's a poem about, about relationships and courting and dating and sex. And the, the very start of the Song of Solomon, King Solomon is, is courting this, this woman. And this woman starts to speak poetically about King Solomon. And, and she says, he is hot. It's not exactly the word that's used, but that's basically what he's saying. He's saying, he is. I just, uh, my, my kids are not here. They would be totally mortified by what I just said. He's, I mean, just, he's hot. I, I, think, I find him deeply attractive, she says, but that's not the thing that totally attracts me to him. He has a name, she, she says. But he has a name. That's the thing that's attractive because, because his hotness will go south over time. Trust me. Well, you know, you're not going to look the same in 50 years' time. You're not going to get better. You're going to get worse. Everyone says when they're in love, oh, you look better than when I first... But actually, it's not true. You, you don't look as good. Love blinds you. Something happens. But, but gosh, it's getting in trouble here. But the reality, here's the reality. Your character will grow. He has a name. He has a character. He has an etching of the soul. And so I say to my four daughters, don't go for the buff guy. <laughs> well, if he's buff as a secondary thing, that's good. But go for the guy with an etching of the soul. Go for a guy you can rely upon. Go for a guy that's been molded by God. Go for a guy who will chase God. Go for a guy who will be faithful. Go for a guy who will love you. An etching of the soul. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Holy Spirit is the etching tool of God. What he's wanting to do is take you from this dream that he's placed in you to the destiny that he has for you and somehow take this vehicle called your character and bring iron into your soul and etch your soul so that you can get there step by step and survive the storms and get through the tests and pass the test so that one day you'll be able to stand before God and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you will have fulfilled your complaint, dream, gift, joy, thing. And you'd have been fully you and lived life in technicolor. That's what he's trying to do with you. And here's the problem. 
Most of us get the dream sometime. But we don't allow the activity of the spirit because an etching hurts. It takes time. You can't always see the fruit. So we start with a dream and we give up and we settle down and we settle for something that's less than God's best for us and we know it and then we justify it and then we baptize it. God is committed to loving you to your destiny. Your life in all its fullness. And, and he's going to point out some stuff if you let him. And he's going to cut out some stuff if you let him. And he's going to expose some stuff that he wants to deal with if you let him. And he's going to talk to you about your priorities if you let him. And he's going to deal with the way you deal with money if you let him. And he's going to deal with the way you deal with relationships if you let him. And he's going to introduce you to his love which will blow you away if you let him. Because his primary concern is to introduce Jesus to your character. The, the Apostle Paul, one of Jesus' I guess best followers writes this in the book of Romans. This is Paul who has experienced etching. I mean, he's, he's got a dream and he's living a destiny, but he's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked, he's been beaten up, he's been almost killed, he's been rejected, he's been kicked out, and he writes all about it. He says this, I love this. Here he says this. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. In other translations, it says hope doesn't disappoint us because, listen, 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 because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so as we, as we start this journey through the life of Joseph, will you submit yourself to the process of character formation? You're going to need to be teachable. You're going to need to be patient. And you're going to have to hold on to this. And, and you say, Carl, yeah, well, I mean, basically that sucks, doesn't it? It's all right for God. He's going to give me this compelling dream thing. And he's going to tell me that he, me and him somehow are going to get it to this destiny thing. And he's basically going to say there's going to be prisons, there's going to be pits, there's going to be trouble, there's going to be difficulty, there's going to be stuff that needs cut out, there's going to be people who reject you. It's all this stuff. And, and, and you get to rejoice in it because it's just character forming, character building. So it's all right for God to say that, but God doesn't have to experience my life. doesn't know what I'm going through. But the scriptures offer a different perspective. And say, no, 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 no. God sent Jesus and gave him a dream and, and, and sent Jesus to offer you his love and get you to your ultimate destiny because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he doesn't just sympathize with you. He empathizes with you because he had a dream and he endured and you're the dream and he died for the dream 
In fact, he was killed by the dream and he was rejected. He, he gets it totally. And the one who is here even tonight, the one who mediates his love is here. And the one who manages the tests is here. And the one who measures the path is here. And wants to walk with us as our character grows from our dream to our destiny. And so, some of us tonight, just we'll never have this until we allow the Father to love us in the way that he already does. We'll never be us, fully us. We'll never be able to dream with the Father until we accept the love of the Father. And you've never experienced the love of the Father. And, and others of us just need to ask the right questions. Because we got stuck in a cycle of living somebody else's dream. We got stuck in a cycle of, of, of doing somebody else's stuff that someone else took hold of us for it. And now we're doing it because we're faithful and dutiful, but it's not the dream God placed in our hearts. And some of us just need to submit to the Holy Spirit's work on our character and say, God, anything that's incompatible with you, my dream and my destiny, I want out of my life. And anything I have to go through to get to that place, I want in my life. And however painful it is, I'm going to ask you to keep reminding me of the dream and take me to the destiny. I'm all in.